Hi, we're welcoming back again Dr. Ron Jensen. We couldn't stop talking the first time, and those of you who were there the first time know that Ron spent seven months in a 20-foot motorhome logging 20,000 miles and talking to 350 liters. The question he asked each one, at the end of your life, how will you know you've been successful? That's a question we all want the answer to, so we asked Ron to come back. He's a coach to leaders around the world. He's led a seminary. He chairs a leadership training organization, and he's been my friend for over 20 years. He wrote the book, Achieving Authentic Success, which is endorsed by Zig Ziglar, Elizabeth Dole, and Dr. Ken Blanchard. See you in the studio. Well, we're back at the Convene Studios in Southern California, and Ron Jensen and I uh, couldn't stop talking, so I asked him to stick around and spend some more time talking about spiritually healthy leaders. We want to talk to you today a little bit about spiritually healthy leaders love people. So, Ron, thanks for sticking around on this rainy Southern California day. My joy. They say it never rains in Southern California, oh, boy. except in the last two months. Yeah, boy, do we need it. I think we've had four inches in the last 24 hours at our home. Oh, my gosh. Which is crazy. Yeah, I think it's ready to come in my back door. But, it, uh, it's, it is coming in. My wife said uh, <sighs> nooks and crannies, but that's anyway. okay. We're, we're, we're glad to have it. We were talking about uh, John 17 the yeah. last time we were together. And this notion of Jesus being transparent with the disciples. Yeah. And uh, it was a pretty difficult moment, maybe maybe one of the most difficult moments of his life. He knew he was about to be killed. He knew that he wanted to pray. The disciples fell asleep. Nobody prayed with him. He said, can't you even pray with me? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and and uh, so let's just push pause on that scene, and then uh, flash forward to the next scene, which you wanted to talk about where Jesus came back, and yeah. uh, he had an opportunity, if he's like many CEOs, to kind of give the lecture. Yeah. The lecture about what's not going well, what you're not doing right, who you are not becoming, yeah. what yeah. you could be if you worked harder, yeah. and yet... The Bible is very clear. We're supposed to love people. I spent 20 years with Service Master, where we were masters of service, serving the master. I think you knew our president, Bill Pollard, and and he would say uh, to help people develop was yeah. one of the objectives of the firm. Yep. And we had 90,000 workers that we loved to death because uh, we thought they had dignity and value and worth. Yeah. What does Jesus have to say about... Um, Spiritually healthy leaders loving people. Well, a whole lot, as, as you understand. But in the, in the John 17 model, again, back to where he says, he had a threefold priority. He said, first, Father, I pray. Uh, I don't pray for the world. Interesting, his last prayer. Hmm. Father, I don't pray for the world, the lost world. I pray for those you've given me out of the world and those who will believe in me through their word, which is us today. Mm -hmm. And then he said, uh, first, I pray you will sanctify them in truth, thy word is truth. And so the whole point is, he said, Lord, make them not only holy, but use for their intended purpose. Because mm -hmm. I sanctify, sanctify my cup of coffee when I drink from it, which mm -hmm. I'll do right here. You, you may, you may. So when we're used for God's intended purpose, so discovering that and living that out is a big, big thing. That's his first priority. And then secondly, he says, Father, 
I pray that they, uh, as you've loved me and I've loved you, they will love one another, that they will be perfected in unity. Mm-hmm. So the second radical thing is that there would be a unity among believers, for sure, uh, uh, in, the, in the body. And then thirdly, he said, so that, with the result that, the world would know you sent me. So basically, as Francis Schaeffer said, the greatest evangelistic tool we have, the greatest apologetic in the world is radical love that believers have for one another. So mm-hmm. he's addressing believers in this case, but Scripture is quite clear throughout that God wants us to be uh, loving him first mm-hmm. and then loving others the way we love ourselves. That's a great commandment, right? Mm-hmm. So this idea of loving people to the extent that we can create a unity of spirit, that's what makes uh, teams work. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done hundreds and hundreds of events with corporations and, and leadership training with the C-level folks and then all the way down, you know, up and, and through. And a lot of it's around what does it mean to have this kind of unity in a very, even a very secular environment, mm-hmm. and uh, and there are certain skills and abilities that people need to have to do that. But as a believers, as leaders in in businesses, uh, the key is that we live that out, and we 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 love the way God wants us to love. Mm-hmm. This could all be personified, by the way. I'll, I'll kind of begin with the end in mind by Jesus. Uh, in the story, it was at the end of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he had died, actually. He had been crucified. He had been resurrected. And before he ascended, he he showed up to groups or individuals, maybe yeah. 10 to 15 uh, different ones. And and one of the groups was the followers. So, I, so here you are, a CEO or a director in a company, a leader in a company, and your people uh, dealt with you or responded to you the way the disciples responded to Jesus. Now mm-hmm. think about it. Peter denied him. You know, mm-hmm. Thomas was always doubting. They basically ran because they thought he was going to usher in the kingdom. Instead, he died, mm-hmm. and people and, were and chasing imagine, them. Imagine if you're that CEO who could come back yeah. to life for a minute and have one yeah. last yeah. moment with all the people that you used to work That's with, exactly and right. then you're going to go again. <laughs> yeah, so so Jesus shows up to them, and I, I ask people this all around the world, what would you have wanted to say? And I know what I would have wanted to yes, say. Yes, I, I think you and I would want to say the same <laughs> I thing. I would have wanted it's to walk tuna. in and say, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, it's Jesus, and I'm here for one reason, and one reason only, and that's to tell you, you are all out. Yes. You're out of the program. You're off the team. I'm I'm sick and tired of you. Peter, for goodness sake, you denied me three times in front of a little girl. I yeah. mean, you what a chicken. Don't you and, think after the first time you would have gone? Yeah, yeah. You're just, you're, just, you're just a coward. And Thomas, stop laughing. You, you, you've you been doubting from day one. You're a negative kind of guy, Thomas. Mm-hmm. You're a pessimist, and you always brought the team down. So I'm tired with you, Thomas. I'm done with you, Peter. You're all out. Out. That's what I would have wanted to say. Yes, yes. And in the same occasion, uh, it's recorded in, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, what Jesus said. And that was what's called the Great Commission. He said, the same group, same occasion, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. I give it to you. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Mm. Jesus said, the history of the world is in your hands mm-hmm. to a group of losers. Mm-hmm. Fishermen. Yeah. Doctors. And, tax collectors. And backbiters and cowards and... Traitors. Yeah. He had this incredible ability to yeah. believe in them. Now, he knew the Holy Spirit would come yeah. and give them power, but 
they were a distraught, broken people, and I, I would have my everything in my flesh would have wanted to just ream them out. But mm-hmm. he didn't do that. Mm-hmm. He built them up. And the job, as you aptly pointed out, that he gave them is the biggest job in the entire world. Nothing could be bigger no. than take this this stuff that I told you and tell the whole world. Yeah, it's not. Well, uh, would you just kind of let everybody in your neighborhood uh, know? Yeah, yeah. It's tell the whole yeah. world. Yeah. And they, I think on their side, they knew that they were uh, uh, regular people. Yep. And maybe, just maybe, hy- hypothetically, I don't really know, they might have slipped back into this, I'm just a regular guy. And Jesus came and said, "You are not. You are not. No. Yeah. It it reminds me. My dad had an opportunity to be with Bill Bright, Doctor Bill Bright, yep. Campus Crusade for yep. Christ now crew, and there was this outdoor amphitheater at Arrowhead. Uh, did we call it Arrowhead? Arrowhead Springs. Springs. Yeah. Arrowhead Springs. And so my dad is at the back of the amphitheater, and there's a training event. For all I know, you could have been in the in the amphitheater at the time. You could have been leading the training, and uh, my dad said. Wow, this is an amazing group of leaders. What a powerful group of leaders that you're training. And Bill looked at my dad and said, actually, they're just regular people yeah. empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's right. That's right. You know. And and by the way, Bill, I had three three great mentors in my life. I had a number of people who poured into it, but three great mentors. One was Art Damas. You might know the Damas uh, Foundation name. I, I was I was in Philadelphia working in a church, and Art kind of embraced me. And another one was Ted Ingstrom, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. great leader, and then Bill Bright. Mm. And they were mentors and very close friends. Yeah. And they were in different seasons of my life. But the commonality between all three of them, or among all three of them, was that they believed in me. And I, I can't underscore enough the power of the leader. This is why the spiritual health of a leader is of a leader is so critical mm-hmm. because there's a capacity, there's a, a a function, there's a position, there's prestige, there's power that God's given a leader that's unique. And the power they have is the way they see people and communicate to people and uh, act toward people. So I, I like to say, what you see is what they'll be, because people will look through the eyes of a leader, and if they see someone who believes in them the way Jesus did the failures, uh, those people can go on and do great things. But our, one of our biggest problems our people have, in fact, all of us have, leaders have, is all the time. Mm-hmm. We shoot too low. Mm-hmm. We, we just don't have a, heavy, a strong enough view of who we are, uh, particularly as Christians in Christ. I love Ephesians 2. It says, we're God's, one translation, we're God's masterpieces mm-hmm. created in Christ Jesus for mm-hmm. good works that would walk in them. I love that. Our lives ought to be a work of art, mm-hmm. a symphony. It ought to be so winsome, so attractive, so compelling, so yeah. abundant, so fruitful that people go, man, whatever you have, I want. Yeah. And and that's what a leader can do in the business if he doesn't or she doesn't get too off target on just heads down, you know, crunching the numbers or or meeting the deadlines, or getting ready for the board, mm-hmm. in all of that. Mm-hmm. It's how they relate to their people that has just an incredibly profound impact and incredible return on investment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
What would you say would be some other lessons we could glean from Jesus as it relates to spiritually healthy leaders and their view of people? Other things that he modeled, that he uh, taught. Any thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I have. I, I've thought about this particular one a whole lot, but he he and and I think as a result, Paul and. And Peter and James and others fleshed all this out in the epistles, but in, in my study, in the Bible, there's like 120-some one-anothers. It says we're to build up one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, support one another, admonish mm-hmm. one another, mm-hmm. sometimes kick one another out of the church if people get off target. We mm-hmm. have these broad range of things we're to do that are part of loving people and building them up. But I think I, I've been... By the way, I spoke one time at a church, and I wanted to show people how important this was, so I actually preached all 100 plus. Wow. Yeah. How long did that take? Well, I don't know, but they didn't have me back. So (laughs) I figured that probably wasn't a good idea. So I narrowed it down to five. (laughs) So here's, and and Jesus modeled these These, really well. The summation of the 120 one another's in I said, I better start building categories. Wow. Because, you know, people can only chew on so much before they choke. So uh, I call it unity. I'm dyslexic and, you know, ADD, so I got to I have to have memory uh, tools, but it's it's basically unity. How do we build unity in relationships? So we uplift one another. Je- Jesus did that. Mm-hmm. We, we need one another. We intimately relate to one another. We trust one another, and then we uh, yield to one another. It's mm-hmm. kind of the, the mm-hmm. model. So I'll hit one, and then we can see if we want to talk about them. But we uplift. We uplift, need, need. We are intimately intimate. relate. Mm-hmm. We trust, mm-hmm. and then we yield yeah. to one another. Take that into the C-suite for us, for the people listening who are leaders, and some of those words, they say, well, that's great for my family, that's great for my marriage, that's great for my friends, Uh, but that's not great for work, because work is where you get things done. Yeah, you you do. And and by the way, I, I have taught this, again, in multiple companies all over the world, it it really does work in companies because every company wants a strong team. You know, mm-hmm. team building is a big thing in a company, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we build a strong team? We, we basically follow this uh, follow this process. It, it's, these are universal principles in my book that work pretty much everywhere. So in, in the C-suite, if, if I don't, if I, if I'm not building uh, people and building team unity, you can't get anywhere. I love what George Bernard Shaw said. He said, in the right key, you can say anything. Mm-hmm. In the wrong key, nothing. Mm-hmm. So the only delicate part of life is establishing the key. So whether it's my wife or my kids or my friends or my coworkers or my employees, if we're out of key or if they're out of key in relationships, people will you know, do all sorts of imaginations. They'll jump all around. They'll do all sorts of things, but there'll never be a level of intimacy or trust mm-hmm. without being in the right key. Mm-hmm. Covey made the point, well, the speed of trust. Yes. You know, how do, we, how do we get things done more quickly, more effectively, more efficiently? We trust. So you and I can say, hey, I'll do this then, and I can, because I know you and trust you. You, you don't need all these imaginations around it. You don't need all these structures to control it because your word is your bond. And so trust becomes a very powerful way, but you don't get trust without, again, as Cuffey said in his first book, Seven Habits, without uh, investing in people's emotional bank account. So Mm -hmm. I can't withdraw from the bank account Hmm. 
like I was communicating with my assistant, virtual assistant, who's full-time and in, in the Philippines this mm-hmm. morning, and uh, I was trying to get her to do some things and trying to move pretty quickly, and this was all uh, online, and uh, I, I could be pretty demanding pretty quickly because I tend to apply these principles routinely with her, so I'm constantly investing in her emotional bank account by uplifting her and by, you know, mm-hmm. interdependence and so on. Uh, so then I can be demanding. So my, my point is, this is how you actually get traction. You want to get a lot done? Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've heard, you know, attract more bees with honey than, you know, with vinegar and so on. There, there's real truth in that. It's not a soft, gooey thing. Mm-hmm. Back to a discussion you and I are having a little earlier about Paul again. Think about him where he said, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother tenderly cares for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. her own children. There, yeah. there, there's power in that kind of relationship so long as it's not just that. Yeah. You know, and as leaders, my contention is always be a critical thinker. That's what we're by and large good at, and we have to be, but also always have a positive, uplifting attitude. What happens is critical thinkers can let that turn into critical attitude, or it can come across as critical attitude, and people's spirits are crushed, and they, they lose confidence, they don't see themselves as valuable, and they're not going to be productive. On the other hand, positive attitude people can become sloppy thinkers, mm-hmm. and that's no good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the worst scenario is to be a sloppy thinker with a crummy attitude. <laughs> but what we want to be is always a critical thinker, but with a positive attitude. And my experience about wisdom, uh, just generally, but certainly biblically, is wisdom is is often like two rails of a train track. And if that train will stay on the train track, it, it will really get traction. But if one you know, of the tracks decides to go uh, in an opposite direction uh, from the other, the train's going to crash. Or if the train says, oh, I'd just like to go out there and you know, run around the meadow, it's not going to work. It needs to be on the train tracks. And a lot of wisdom is constantly counterbalancing being tough and being tender. Uh, 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 speaking the truth, Scripture says, but do it in love and w- with respect. That's how we deal with conflict. Always truthful, always respectful. And this is how we deal, I think, with this relationship. We, we build up people, but we also hold them accountable and, and uh, uh, deal with them assertively, like, you know, a mother and a father, a nursing mm-hmm. mother and a mm-hmm. tough father. So Yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. I was going to... Um ask you to speak, I I think I will, ask you to speak to that that leader who says, uh, the way it works around here is I hear from God and I tell people what he said, and they go do stuff for me. And maybe that's a little wrong because it seems like God speaks to everybody. Any thoughts for that person? Yeah, I think one of the bigger problems we have in the Christian community by the way, is we, we kind of say our pastor speaks to God and then he tells us what to do mm-hmm. and then we do that. And what that's created is a monumental sense of lack of empowerment and uh, uh, inability to move forward because uh, in the Reformation, Luther talks about the priesthood of all believers, you know, Mm -hmm. there is this dualism he was fighting where here is a secular, here is a sacred, and the view is like, well, okay, we we do Sunday, and then we do Monday through Friday, and they're totally separated, and, and you know, these people are in ministry, I'll I'll 
earn money, I'll give it to ministries, people come what need support or missions groups. I'll volunteer perhaps for some things and maybe one day I'll be able to get involved once I retire and be involved in work and ministry. But that mm-hmm. is just that's just that is just not biblical. Mm-hmm. It's not. The biblical yeah. process is all of us are in full-time ministry. I mean, yeah. Scripture makes no distinction. And in fact, it says the body is knit together by that which every joint and ligament supplies. Mm-hmm. I mean, every, you know, we all have different gifts and abilities. And, and Scripture even says the mouth, you know, we're kind of the mouths out here, the head guys, you know. So the mouths are less significant, in a sense, than, than you know, the, the, the spleen or the heart or you know, if I had to put my hand here or look at a hand or a heart, I would say, I'd rather have a hand than a heart as far as just bare looks because it's kind of gross. Mm-hmm. But man, I could get by without my hand. I can't get by without my heart. Mm-hmm. Scripture says we're all needed, but oftentimes those who are not noticed are more critical to the process than others. These principles that are biblical for believers, by the way, have great applicability, though, just to team building overall in relationships. Mm-hmm. It's communicating to everybody you're critical. So uh, could it be uh, summarized then, spiritually healthy leaders clearly uh, love people and understand that people are created in the image of God, yep. but spiritually healthy leaders also understand who they are yep. in Christ. Yes. Uh, they understand their place. I was, I was talking to um, Lord Brian Griffiths one time. Wow. He's, uh, he said, I, I could call him Brian. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he helped privatize the UK for Maggie Thatcher. Yeah, How's that yeah, on your resume? Yeah, yeah. And I was at a, a time with him and about 30 other people that were pretty important, and I wondered what the heck I was doing in the yeah. room. And there was an opportunity for questions, and I thought I'd ask him a really tough question. So I said, uh, Lord Griffiths, uh, what do you think the most important thing for a Christian CEO to understand might be? And he said, well, it's very simple. Once you understand the theology of work, everything else falls into place. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure that I agree that it's the theology of work, but maybe yeah. the theology of who I am in Christ. Yeah. And then once I know who I am in Christ, yeah. priest, yeah. etc., then I know that God most likely did not create earth and humans to say that the only thing that matters is when you go to church on Sunday for an hour. Yeah. And the other 40, 50, 60 hours a week that you work are completely meaningless. Yeah. The only thing they are to be good for is to accumulate money to write checks to missions. Yeah. Maybe speak to that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think we've got got our mindset all messed up on that. You mm-hmm. know, again, we segment uh, what it means to uh, live the life. And I think part of being a spiritually healthy realize that every moment of my life is intended to be spiritually healthy. And mm-hmm. that just means, again, I'm abiding in the vine, in mm-hmm. Christ. I'm walking in his spirit, and his word is abiding in me. I think Colossians 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I'm letting the word just uh, be transformative in my life. And that just means I live with this, uh, we used to call it this, an instant obedience to the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. I'm mm-hmm. living on the edge of my seat saying, Lord, my, my day-to-day is to be an adventure. I, I'm here to live for you, to glorify you. I just want you to guide me. I just, I'm going to be talking to you throughout the day. I'm going to be interacting with you. When I, whatever I do, I'm going to do it out of the love of God. It's, it's like Brother Lawrence said in you know, one of our favorite little books, Practicing the Presence of God, mm-hmm. that had a deep impact on my life early. But here is a dude that was a, 
he was he wasn't even uh, he was in a monastery, but he he, he couldn't re- reach the level of being one of the brothers there. But he he basically uh, used to work on shoes, and then he got a, a an advancement to work pots and pans 16 hours a day. And he talks in his little book about, he said, you know, my three hours of prayer in the morning with the brothers is no more worshipful or meaningful or joyful to me than my 16 hours of washing pots mm-hmm. and pans. He, and because he was just doing business work, you know, he was just mm-hmm. do, doing a trade. And he said, because whatever I do, I just do out of, I, I, I just do it for the love of God. Everything yeah. I do, I'm constantly thankful and loving. And I bet so I pick over a piece of paper and I do that. I say, God, thank you for the honor of picking up that paper. It's just that uh-huh. consciousness that that makes every moment of every day a process of being rightly connected to God, which results in then the capacity to rightly love people yeah. and build them up. Yeah. I think many Christian leaders can't bridge the gap between hearing what you say, which is that their work matters to God, to steal Hendrick's book title from the 80s, that that their work matters to God, and they are comparing it to a missionary's work for God, and they say, China, Bible translation, Africa, digging water wells, South America... uh, helping sex traffic women is more spiritual than creating a spreadsheet, than creating a marketing plan, than making a table, than anything a business person does. How can we get through to them that your work actually does matter to God and what you do on Sunday is not more important? Convene in its early days said... Uh, as a tagline, turning the Sunday stuff into Monday stuff for better lives and better businesses. Yeah. Maybe speak to the people who still are saying, wow, when I sell my business, I'll finally be a missionary. Yeah. Uh, my word is, you know, if you're a leader, God has given you an incredible position, stature, influence, probably affluence, and you've got an unbelievable opportunity to leverage that position, a stewardship hmm. for the kingdom. As Scripture says, to whom much is given, much is required. And so when God blesses us with that, you know, it, it's not always the smartest thing or the wisest thing, thing to say, I'm just going to go into full-time ministry because you've you got to realize you're in full-time ministry. All of life is full-time ministry. It mm-hmm. just we get our paychecks different places, for-profit, mm-hmm. for non-profit. And all all life is is spiritual. It, it's 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 not secular and spiritual. It's not good or bad. So whether it's just is my motive right? Is my heart right? Am I rightly related to God? So I can think about it. There are three mandates in Scripture, so I can live out the three mandates. One is a great commandment: love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. I can do that anywhere, anytime, and I should, and I need to, I must. The great commandment is make disciples of all nations. Uh, go into the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. Uh, we have opportunities to touch people in our workforce by bringing in the right kind of uh, relationship, the right kind of model, bringing in even training and development that helps people around biblically consistent stuff that uh, helps them even get pre-discipled uh, in their faith without uh, going, crossing the line religiously. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then uh, thirdly, it's a cultural mandate that says we're to subdue the earth, we're mm -hmm. to control the earth, we're to, uh, we're to manage what God's given us in the earth, and that includes in the workplace and everything else. And when you're a leader in the marketplace, in the business and corporate world, you've got all sorts of opportunities to do all three of those in one form or another other, every day. So you need to see uh, that that's your primary, your family's your primary mission field, I would say, but that's your certainly your second ring of mission field is your, is your workplace where you have great influence. And then be very prayerful, faith-oriented, um, dependent upon God, a wise, intentional about how you can live out those three mandates right where you are. Now, that'll include making a bunch of money and giving it away and uh, investing in kingdom work where other people can't mm -hmm. uh, use, uh, uh, where they just don't have funds and they need funds. But it's God wants you to be a steward of your time, your talent, and your treasure. So all three of those are critical. And again, uh, it, we were talking about this uh a little bit earlier, we're all going to stand before the Lord one day at the Bema seat, you know, the mm -hmm. reward seat, not, mm -hmm. not, you know, if we're believers, we're, we're going to be eternally with the Lord. But Paul said in, in uh, 2 Corinthians, he was looking at his life and, and he says, uh, his motivations were twofold. He said, having the love of Christ within me, uh, I admonish men. I, I build into men and women. I impact people because of the love of Christ, the love he felt. And then a little bit later in, in uh, chapter 5, he said, having the fear of God within me, I admonish men because we shall all appear at the judgment seat of Christ that we give account for what we've done in the body, whether good or bad, motive-wise. And so the point is, God places us where he places us. He, he, when he's given us an honor to be in a position of influence and impact, we shouldn't take that lightly. He may call us all sorts of other directions, but while we're there, we ought to maximize that opportunity and say, God, use me to love you and to love the people here. But again, to do that, I've got to be spiritually centered. I've got, I've got to be sure I'm rightly related to God. Otherwise, I don't have the power, don't have the wisdom, the insights hmm. to do what I need to do. Hmm. So spiritually healthy leaders uh, see people as created in the image of God. Uh, from our time a few days ago, they, uh, they abide in Christ. Yep. They pursue godly character. Uh, they, as we've talked about, they love people. Um, any other thoughts about spiritually healthy leaders and some of their practices or disciplines? Well, I, I, I would say they, uh, they also are rightly related to themselves. Huh. And there are a lot of elements about that, you know, I've talked about before, but when the forefathers of America started the country, they said, they kept using this phrase in literature, they said, good government's based on self-government. So they hated the idea of a bloated bureaucracy, of all these external controls you have to bring in uh, to government or Sarbanes-Oxley into, into, mm -hmm. in the business world because people couldn't be trusted. So they said, uh, we want to minimize government, external government. We want people to self-govern. And back then they had these self-government uh, was natural because they, they came, uh, the, the people first settled in America, uh, came over from... Uh, uh, of course, from Europe, and they're uh, running away from religious persecution. But they were, they were by and large, godly people, and they had a Judeo-Christian ethic at the very least. And so they knew they needed to be honest. They needed to have, uh, have 
treat people with dignity. They needed to have humility, but also a healthy sense of who they were. They had a sense of vocation. Their life was calling. They understood their theology of work was one of calling mm-hmm. and uh, had a high view of it. They, they understood uh, having a great attitude and not quitting and perseverance. A lot of things we've lost. In fact, right, right. We don't say we're called to be a cobbler anymore, yeah. as the saying was back yeah. then. Yeah. No, 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 no. We're called into, quote-unquote, ministry, We're right, called but... into ministry, but we're not called to own a XYZ franchise. Yeah, that's, a, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, but, but their, whole, their whole thing was self-government, and again, uh, good government's based on self-government, and my, and my contention is good leadership's based on self-leadership. So part of this is for people to learn how to self-lead, which means uh, just being sure they have all the right straight lines. C.S. Lewis once said, you'll never know a line's crooked unless you have a straight line to put next to it. Mm-hmm. And we've, uh, right now, one of the, my deep concerns about the culture is that a lot of the millennials are coming into the culture without a sense of straight lines, mm-hmm. those absolute non-negotiable mm-hmm. uh, lines that allow them to self-govern uh, mm-hmm. around that. So there's a real sense in which, and, and, and I mean this in the best possible uh, framework, but we, we need, in a sense, reparent a culture uh, uh, mm-hmm. because these kids are growing up in broken homes and educational systems that didn't work, and mm-hmm. they're just looking for, for that. That's why I'm so keen on the millennials and impacting them. But uh, the, the, the core to self-government, it, it almost starts with this whole idea of a right view of myself. And so as a leader, uh, I, I need to balance two things, I think. Uh, uh, one is I need to realize how significant my life is. Now, that may sound funny because if we're a leader, we go, hey, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm an important person. But I don't think we, we think high enough. You know, the Bible says our, our life is a masterpiece. I mean, God's created us to be a, holistically a masterpiece. So as we're created in the image of God, you know, and mm-hmm. as a gospel singer said, God, God didn't create any junk, you know. So we're, we're of an unbelievable uh, worth. We're a lot better than uh, we think we are even if we're arrogant we're a lot better than we think we are in the holistic sense. Mm-hmm. And we have much more potential than we think we have on the one hand. On the other hand, leaders can often have trouble with the other side of that, and that is we're loaded with soft spots. As Christians, we'd say sin, all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. But that means two things, I think. One is it means that I realize I can't do it by myself, so it gets me back to my spiritual roots. I have to depend upon God. That's hard for a leader to admit because mm-hmm. we're used to doing stuff by ourselves. We make things happen, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you you actually did a talk one time in a church that I was at, and I actually was taking notes. Uh-huh. I can't remember the passage, but it was a right view towards God by something, a right oh, view oh, yeah, of yeah. self by Dealing something. with stress, yeah, right yeah. view toward God right by view yeah. of stress. Yeah. Was it Philippians? Yeah, Philippians 4. Way to go, 4 Whoa. through 8, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I built a whole course around that, but... Mm-hmm. Yes, and and in this case, this right view towards self is the balance again. The two train tracks is I am special, I am unique, I am significant. We, I mean, we, in a healthy sense, we ought to buy that and believe it because mm-hmm. we are who God, we are in Christ. Yeah, who we are in Christ, and, and and with our gifts and abilities and passions God's given us, and which we can use for good or or not. And the second side though is that we're loaded with soft spots. So part of that is that means because I I I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a biblical verse for this. Right. I can do all things. I am special. The yeah. world has to reckon with me. Yeah, it doesn't say I can do all things myself. Yeah. 
but it's through Christ who strengthens me. And so the implication there is that I'm dependent upon God uh, and know how to walk with him intimately and live uh, abiding in the vine as we've talked about. But the other implication is that I live with humility. And so I always, I like to ask people to a humility test. I said, "Think of the last time you were criticized by someone. Mm-hmm. You know what? What did you? How did you respond?" I remember. I remember some years ago, I was, when I was running this uh, the seminary uh, graduate school of theology back in the '80s. I was a young. I started young, and so I was a young, you know, leader, but uh, uh, had a great platform. And and uh, one day, one of the students who was actually older than me asked if we could go out for, for first-year student, go out for a lunch, and we did. And over lunch, he said, I just want you to know, you are a great man, and you are a fabulous leader and communicator. You're a real role model to me. And I said, well, thank you. And I picked up the tab. And then he said, there's two more things that are kind of personal. Can I tell you? And I said, oh, sure, because I knew what he was going to say. Of all the great leaders who've ever lived, you know, Billy Graham, Bill Bright, you know, Martin Luther, Apostle Paul, Ron Jensen, I mean... You're I, in the, yeah, you're I thought in I'd be right in there. He didn't say that. He didn't. Rats. He, he said, there are after two, you paid. <laughs> he said, there's two things in your life. Yeah, after I paid. He said, there's two things in your life I don't think you're aware of that I believe impede your walk with God and your leadership. And, whoa, and whoa. And my first thought was, who do you think you are, you punk? That was what I thought. Your first thought was, and your part of lunch was 10 bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I was I, I was more angry than that, and uh, and, and then my second thought was is I, I was leaning forward to give him the benefit of my insight. It was as though the hand of God grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and shook me a couple of times and said, "Hey, hey, hey, Jensen, why are you so surprised? Someone should see something in your life with which you need to deal. Imagine if he saw everything I see." Yeah, and I said, yeah. "Whoa, yeah, yeah," and. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, how arrogant it is to be offended by, uh, by someone pointing out something in my life with which I need to deal. He said, uh, and God just said, hey, Ron, you are so much worse than this. No one knows how bad you are, mm-hmm. not even you. And I do. I mean, your righteousness is like filthy rags to me, brother. Mm-hmm. That's what the scripture says. So I thought, what an arrogant guy. And so I leaned forward and I said two things to him. First, I said, well, thank you for telling me that and, and being willing to risk what I could do to you to, to point that out. Mm-hmm. And he said, number two, I said, I'm going to take that under advisement and get some feedback on it because th- those both are new things to me. And one had to do with how I was training my children, which was a lot of fun. And the other one had to do with uh, something at school. And uh, but, but I said also, I said, um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna process that and try to uh, get some feedback. But what I want you to know is I'm just a whole lot worse than that. So I've I've learned over the years when criticize, when people uh, uh, criticize me for things, and as leaders we get criticized all the time. My mm-hmm. response typically these days is, <laughs> that's nothing. That's nothing if you knew <laughs> you, the truth. Yeah, if you knew me the way I know me, man, it would yeah. really be embarrassing. Yeah. Because yeah. you know if we had every thought, every motive, every uh, word, every action put up on a screen. You know, in here, man, we'd all be out of here. I mean, because it's, uh, you know, we're just, we're all flawed, flawed people, right? Yeah. So, again, if I'm going to be a spiritually healthy uh, leader, I've got to properly view myself with that healthy 
uh, healthy pride and healthy humility, you know, strengths, significance, and soft spots. And, and again, there are two rails of a train track. I can't just bounce back and forth. I, I, I need to keep those in tension all the time. So every day, you know, I need to not let Satan kick me or get me down and say, you're a loser or you're mm -hmm. failing or look what you did. Mm -hmm. And, and nor, nor can I go around like I'm be arrogant or haughty or self-absorbed because it's easy to do that as a leader. Hmm. Thanks for being with us. Uh, we've been with Dr. Ron Jensen talking about spiritually healthy leaders. And spiritually, he spiritually healthy leaders have a right view towards God. They have a right view towards self. And they have a right view of others. So thanks for joining us at the Convene Studios in Southern California. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time.